Greetings, and welcome back to your barista's favorite pumpkin-spiced podcast. This is Beethoven Walks Into a Bar. I'm Mike Gordon, Principal Flute of the Kansas City Symphony. I'm Stephanie Brimhall, the Education Manager with the Kansas City Symphony. And I'm Jason Sieber, the Associate Conductor. So today, we're going to be talking with one of Kansas City's most dedicated and talented music educators, Celine Hernandez. So... For most people, being a high school orchestra director would be plenty enough to do in a day. But in addition to that, Celine also teaches violin and orchestra for Harmony Project KC. And Mike, I know that is an organization that is near and dear to your heart, especially. It is indeed. And uh, I will make a uh, shameless plug uh, <laughs> for the program since I am a member of the board and have been uh, honored to be a member of the board since since the program started about Five years ago, uh, Celine uh, was with us since the very beginning and helped to create this program and has helped to make it uh, the success that it is. We provide uh, music. Ed- well, we. I don't do anything. I go to meetings and write emails. Celine <laughs> provides uh, incredible music education, uh, instruments, everything that the kids need uh, to learn music and We provide that to our students uh, in the Northeast absolutely for free. We have, uh, in addition to Celine, a team of incredible teachers, uh, local uh, professionals, teachers, performing artists uh, who are not volunteers. They're paid professional staff for us, and they do an amazing job at providing music to uh, some really really deserving children. And of course, uh, that process has never really been more challenging now that we have to be apart. And Jason, of course, has uh, been a wonderful partner with us at HPKC as well. And just this past uh, January, we celebrated our fifth anniversary and Jason came to conduct our students, which was really, really incredible. Thank you, Jason, for doing that. Oh, yeah. That was seriously a really fun day celebrating this great organization's fifth anniversary, like you said, Mike. And you know, I've gone in to work with the kids a couple times before, and what blew me away about working with them in January was to see, you know, how much incredible progress these kids have made in five years. And and that day, the kids playing in, in the orchestra, most of them have been with Harmony Project from the very beginning. Um, but there were a few students that had only been playing, you know, three or four years, not even all five years. And the amount of discipline they had as musicians and the energy and excitement that they played with and the passion was unbelievable. And I will never forget that day for the rest of my life. It was just so inspiring to see the great work that Celine has done with the kids and the, and the whole team and staff at Harmony Project. They're just exceptional, the opportunities that they're providing for young people. And not just it's not just about music either. To see these kids and their confidence and how excited they are and I, I got to hear a few of them speak to the audience that day, and they were so articulate. And this program is not just about creating great musicians, it's about creating great people. And that's what I've always loved about Harmony Project KC. Absolutely. I, I, I think being a teacher right now, too, is we're kind of in this time when when providing any kind of instruction, but definitely music instruction, is is challenging and it's different and we're all trying to figure out different ways that we can make music approachable and relevant to kids even if it's through a screen and and honestly I can't imagine what that must be like working in a classroom and figuring those things out 
I think one of the interesting things is, you know, we're talking about teachers who are doing things virtually, teachers who are doing things in person, and then teachers who are doing thing, providing instruction on both platforms for, you know, one one class worth of students. And that is just, it's insane to me, all of this, this stuff that, that we're going through and how I've so admired the way that the teachers that I've worked with through the symphony, but also my, my children's own teachers have handled that so gracefully. And, um, you know, just with this open, uh, open mind into how we're going to make this happen. Um, so I, I just, I really admire the work that, that Celine does. And why don't we welcome, welcome to the show now, Celine Hernandez. Thank you so much for having us here. It really is an honor to be among a panelist of amazing musicians and people. So I really appreciate the opportunity. Well, you must be talking about a different podcast, Celine, because I don't know if we fit that <laughs> fit that description. And believe me, the honor is all ours. We're so delighted that you're on the show today. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you so much. So for starters, you know, it's the fall and kids are going back to school. Talk about how your semester is starting, both at your school in Independence and with Harmony Project KC, are you all online? Is some of your teaching in person? Uh, you know, what are the, some of the major challenges uh, that you're facing right at this moment and that the students are facing too? Yeah, um, I think Stephanie, you know, summed it up really well. Like it's been a crazy beginning of the school year. Just I am actually doing both. I'm teaching hybrid and independence. Mm. So that means that 75% of our families decided to send their students back to school. Um, the district was, um, you know, giving the families a choice to decide whether they wanted to do completely virtual or, you know, come back to school. And since there was a lot of students um, that were going to come back to school, they had to split the students in half. Um, so one week, the A through K kids go to school, and then the next week, the L through Z come to school. And while they're at home, they have to do some distance learning. So I have to provide instruction online for them throughout the week, and then also, you know, be in charge of students um, in person. So can I ask, what age group of kids do you teach in independence? In independence, I work uh, sixth grade through 12th grade. So are you teaching beginner orchestra students this year? I am, yeah. yes. Wow. So one of the things, um, and I want to know how you're approaching this, because I visited recently with my sister-in-law who teaches um, middle school band in Maryland, and they are virtual, completely virtual at her school until February. Um, and she's having to teach beginner, first-time instrumental music to kids completely virtually for the first, like, five months. And wow. I just, like, how do, you, how do you do that? Like, how do you teach a kid to play an instrument that they've just gone to the music store, picked up, and have put in their hands the, the, for the first time at home in their living room? That's a great question, Stephanie. And <laughs> I think we're still trying to figure it all out. I think there's, you know, um, right now with social media um, being such a great platform for learning, mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of teachers that are sharing ideas. And um, right now, I actually have one of our colleagues that's in charge of all virtual for middle school. 
um, just because, you know, it's a, a heavy workload for a lot of us. So they took on the beginners, but we're all working together to create a experience for them. And there's going to be a lot of Zoom meetings, uh-huh. a lot of explaining to how to tune with pegs. There might be even, you know, them coming to the school and getting their instrument tuned if it goes, you know, really out of tune and they're having trouble. So I think there's a lot of ways to continue to stay connected with our beginners and um, especially trying to involve their families a little bit more in the process. Um, I think that's going to be super important as we take on virtual learning this year. I think you hit it on the head too. Like I think that's something that is really important, but could be an added value to, you know, kids being at home. Like I think families are going to have to be more involved in education this year than they ever have been. Um, I think parents seeing what the kids have to do to practice their instrument and maintain their instrument and and experiencing that at home, I think could potentially be a positive thing in, you know, a a child's musical experience. I definitely agree. I think, um, you know, parents are busy, you know, with their jobs and everything, but they, you know, they're making the sacrifices to teach their students and or help out their students at home and make them feel supported as best as possible. And they'll, they're going to have a different appreciation for music mm-hmm. education after, you know, hopefully it all ends soon, but um, <laughs> during this year, you know, like that they'll have a much appreciation for learning an instrument. Mm-hmm. I think so too. It, one of the things that I always find uh, so impressive about you, Celine, when you teach, is just your ability to keep all the kids engaged and, mm. and understand when I've, you know, seen Celine teach, she's standing up in front of a, you know, a small string orchestra of, I don't know, what would you say, maybe 20, 20 young players. Uh, and, you know, they're all, some of them have been playing for longer than others, but essentially they're all, you know, beginner students, uh, relatively speaking. And so they require a lot of attention and a lot of instruction and their, um, their ability to focus, uh, you know, sometimes waxes and wanes as it does for all children and, and her, uh, ability to just bring all of them in and keep them on task is incredible in person. And then doing that online on a zoom call is just a task that I, personally cannot imagine uh doing and (laughs) and it takes such energy and input and uh so it's just amazing to think of how you're tackling that thank you mike you are so kind and uh you know i think personalities still come out on zoom so you know kids will still be silly and Mm. um, make jokes and it might be a little bit difficult at first because it's a new platform um, for them to use, but some of them are starting to get used to Zoom. You know, they, they're starting to get used to how it functions. Uh, and so you get to see a little bit more of, you know, the fun personalities they demonstrate in the classroom, and we're able to see it on an online setting. So I'm, I'm actually right now um, doing Harmony Project completely online. Um, they are not beginners, so that uh, makes it a little bit more um manageable in terms of like tuning because they are able to do some of that on their own but you know keeping that engagement going like you said mike is super important especially in a time like now and i think kids really value that i think that's uh, also really important to these kids that are coming through harmony project um they have an existing relationship with you already so i think that helps with the the virtual learning um 
and and quite frankly, that's one of the reasons that my husband and I decided to send our own kids back to in-person school because we also had the choice here was if for some reason it ends up going virtual at some point in the future for everyone, at least my kids will have established like a face-to-face relationship with that teacher. And I think that helps a lot and I'm sure will will be a benefit to your Harmony Project kids just They've worked with you. They know you. You have that relationship already. So there, that barrier isn't there in trying to start new relationships with teachers and students. Oh, um, so I definitely agree with that, that, you know, working in the middle and high school setting, I'm able to build relationships with some of my students for seven years. You know, I have mm-hmm. my seniors. They're my first sixth grade babies. You know, I mm-hmm. call them my <laughs> sixth grade babies because they're, you know, they've grown with me as a teacher. They've seen me progress from a beginner teacher to the teacher I am today. Um, and for them, it's it's really special to have that opportunity to spend some time in the classroom their senior year. And I would think the same about Harmony Project. We have some seniors at Harmony Project this year who've been with us since the beginning. And uh, I know that they will enjoy having the chance to continue to connect with their teachers at Harmony Project. Mm -hmm. Isn't that just one of the coolest things about teaching music in general is that usually you are um, the main person, the mentor for kids for and you get to see them develop over a long period of time and, and you get to to see the. The, um, to reap the benefits, so to say, of, of these seeds that you plant in them at such an early age, in either fifth or sixth grade, usually. Um, Celine, long before we even knew what the words virtual learning meant, or uh, long before you became the masterful teacher that you are today, I'm sure your journey in music has been an, an interesting and cool one. When did you... First of all, how did you start out as a, as a music student? And when at what point did you decide... This is not only something I want to do for the rest of my life, but I really want to be a music educator. Uh, my journey began in fourth grade um, with the violin, and I was lucky enough. You know, we had moved from California. Um, my family had come from over there, and we decided to move to the Midwest. And in elementary school, my music teacher came around or our orchestra teacher came around and she introduced us to the string instruments and for some reason I felt really really connected to the violin I don't know why specifically I can't remember that far back but I just knew that music was very special to me um, and I wanted to continue to learn more about it now funny story when I began my journey my parents had no idea where to you know look for an instrument what to do uh, they weren't musicians themselves because they never had the opportunity to be in music lessons growing up so this was their first time you know trying to figure out the orchestra world and trying to get my materials so i was um not able to find an instrument and i was afraid that i might not be able to continue being in the orchestra program they didn't have a lot of instruments back in the time that I had joined um, at school. So that wasn't an option like it is at many schools now, mm-hmm. um, where sometimes they'll provide instruments for the students who can't afford it at that time. But the very last day before I had to say no to orchestra, I found um, a violin that was the right size for me. It was a friend of a neighbor of mine. So uh-huh. he's like, hey, I know somebody who has a violin, you know, and they're trying to, you know, give it away. And I went over 
over and it was like the perfect size. It had the bow, it had all the strings. Maybe it wasn't the best quality, but I was so grateful at that moment because that was a turning point. You know, mm-hmm. if it weren't mm-hmm. for that moment, I probably, I don't know if I would have been in orchestra. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm just really grateful looking back at that. Um, so anyways, I continued on with orchestra throughout you know, middle school and high school, I ended up getting into my senior year and I was thinking about what I wanted to do. I hadn't really considered seriously music education until my senior year. And I remember an instance when I made my brother be my student <laughs> at home and I'd love to assign him math problems. And Ooh, I'm nice. like, you gotta, you gotta do this, right? You gotta do the homework. And I would like glare him down, you know, until you he finished it. You got the teacher it. stare right away. You know? <laughs> yep, exactly. Exactly. And so then I kind of was like, you know, I kind of enjoy that. You know, I enjoy, you know, helping other students. And I was doing some tutoring. And then I'm like, I've always done music. So let me just connect the two. And um, I I think I was a little late on the whole audition processes, you know, that occur. I didn't really think through everything. But, you know, people believed in me. And I was able to get into a wonderful college that supported me. Um, throughout my journey in music education. And, you know, when I got to college, I had great professors that encouraged me and helped me learn, you know, what it's like to be a music educator in our world today. And that college was? Uh, William Jewell College. Yeah. Fantastic. Awesome. Yeah. Fantastic. And then I just completed my master's degree from UMKC. So um, I want for you. Thank you. I am super grateful for their assistance and, you know, helping me get that second degree. So I'm very grateful for that. But, you know, looking back, I think about everything that I was able to do growing up. You know, I was in youth symphony programs growing up Mm -hmm. and I had the chance to take private lessons. You know, my parents made some sacrifices and were able to help me get into lessons early on and you know give me all the opportunities I could possibly have take me to rehearsals every Sunday for youth symphony practices and rehearsals so it was just it's really special looking back now at what those people and those mentors did for me well I, I love that and I love that um, you know now you're able to to give those same gifts to so many kids I mean it's truly incredible um so talk a little bit about, uh, if I remember correctly, you went you went back to California for a period of time. Is that right? Um, actually, so I did an internship while I was at Jewel. Um, they had a program called the Journey Grant Program. So I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with that grant because they um, give it to every single student. And my mom had actually showed me a video of Gustavo Dudamel. Um, when he had first arrived to Los Angeles and conducting the LA Phil, he was um, starting his work with an El Sistema program out there. And so she showed me this video and I was, you know, in awe about the work that he was doing and the impact that the El Sistema program had for him growing up. So I decided to reach out to a El Sistema program out in California and they gave me the opportunity to intern with them for the whole summer. So I spent about three months out there um, learning from some of the best teachers um, that program had and you know, observing the different classes that they offered the, the students, talking with the families, learning from the director, 
And um, yeah, and my school helped pay for that internship. So I learned a lot from that experience. And I decided I wanted to continue doing some nonprofit work when I got back to Kansas City again. That's really amazing. And I I can't recall um, if I've said anything about El Sistema in the course of our podcast here, but I've certainly talked about it in various places and various contexts. And, you know, for people who are not familiar, this is a program that originated in Venezuela. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it is built around the idea that music education uh, can create social change, can be an agent of the, that is uplifting to children uh, and can help them, you know, forge a better life. Uh, and, and, it now exists in the United States here too, and it is uh, certainly a very closely um, related to the work that you do at, at Harmony Project. And I just think it's amazing that you've been, you know, on this journey that you know someone was was generous to you and your parents made sacrifice so that you could um, benefit from music that you you know were able to work uh, with this El Sistema program in California, and now you've brought all of that uh, back here to Kansas City. It's just amazing. Um, yeah, I think, you know, the work that I researched about El Sistema um, was just really impactful for me. And it just made sense that, you know, a community that is struggling, you know, through various factors is able to find something like music and help the children in their community have, you know, something different to do and have like some hope in their future. And I know that in the programs that I was able to observe out in California, I was able to see firsthand the impact that it was making. And now with Harmony Project, I'm getting to see that firsthand as a, you know, a teacher for the program. And it's just been really amazing to continue to talk with the families and hear their stories and hear how much the program means to them and every kid involved um, from their family. It could be cousins, their own immediate children. Um, but yeah, it's really a community affair. I think that's something too. I mean, we talked about, you know, the need for families to be involved just in education in general right now, but that's kind of one of the cornerstones of the Harmony Project program is that you have buy-in from the family. Like the family has to participate in in the the instruction. Is that right? Yeah, well, you know, we ask them to transport their kids to the program mm-hmm. and there's there's some sort of, you know, investment that the parents have to do mm-hmm. on their end. And mm-hmm. um, some parents have, you know, decided to learn the instrument with them. I did have a mom who came, you would come in and take lessons with, with us and she learned alongside um, her students. So that's definitely something that we're open to. Yeah, that's cool. So Celine, you came back from California and did you immediately start working with Harmony Project KC? Um, did they seek you out? Did you seek them out? Cause you were so excited about putting what you learned in California to good use or wh- how did that, uh, that, that relationship start? Yeah. So, um, a year later I graduated and I began teaching, um, full-time in independence. And then around December that year, uh, one of my professors from Jewel, um, Dr. Coleman, he was very much connected with um, Laura and Carmen, our first director of Harmony Project. And he told them about, you know, my aspiration for doing some nonprofit work. Um, So they reached out to me and I was able to meet with them in person and talk a little bit about, you know, my vision for some of the things that I wanted to do with nonprofit work. And, you know, they made me um, part of the team and I was just really grateful. I got to meet with Mike 
a couple of times before to brainstorm some ideas. And from then on, you know, became, it became history. And now we're five years later into the program. I think it's worth mentioning. Uh, you mentioned Laura um, and you mentioned Carmen, the, the team of people that you get to work with. And I'm just going to say the team of women that you get to work with um, over there. I mean, Laura Schultz is, is an incredible person and really mm-hmm. um, has, she's the CEO. Yes. Executive director, executive director, yeah. executive director of Harmony Project. And she's just, I mean, she's wonderful. And I think that that's an example of, of, you know, nurturing from the, from the top down um, and, and really um, creating a climate for not just the people who work for you, but for the the students who are, um, attending classes and, and, you know, playing an orchestra there. It's just, it's a really, um, an incredible team that you guys have there as well. I think that's wonderful. Yeah. And you talk, you know, you mentioned team. It really does take a team, especially in times like now where, where we have to teach online and we have to, you know, teach in person as mm-hmm. well. Like it really, you have to come together as a team to give the best opportunities for the students, continue to give them high quality instruction. Um, and people are so willing to share ideas and really come together to, you know, make this year as best as we can possibly can the best year for our students. So Celine, where do you see, Harm- where would you like to see Harmony Project, let's say five years from now? It's five years old. Where, what kinds of things do you want the kids to be able to do, not just musically, but where, where would you like to see the program go so that at the 10th anniversary, it looks like this? What is your vision for Harmony Project KC? Wow, Jason, that's a great question. (laughs) It's a dandy, Um, huh? Yes, it's a dandy question. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I think what I would like to see is kids feel proud of this program. Like, they already feel proud of being part of something like this. But just to know that the community knows about it and that it's become, you know, something that everybody wants to be a part of. And I know that the team at Harmony Project's working really hard to connect with the community and um, get them invested in the program in the same way that we're trying to help students, you know, see what this program has to offer them in the long run. Um, And I think as the students continue to get older, um, they're going to have a influence on other people, whether that's younger siblings or friends that they have in their community. And I hope to continue to grow it. So we eventually have, you know, a lot of orchestras and, you know, need more staffing to keep up with the numbers. <laughs> but, you know, I think also having a lot of musical opportunities like camps and seeing kids who are, you know, interested in music in the long run, be able to do that potentially as a career or, you know, be lifelong music lovers. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I you mentioned um, having the kids, you know, know that the community knows about the program and knows um, you know, who they are and, and what they can do. And I think, you know, in these first five years, you guys have done a really great job of, you know, putting putting the group out there um, and have given those kids a lot of really cool opportunities. I mean, they got to play 
um, at, for a Royals game. Is that right? Yes. And that <laughs> that moment was so special. I remember it so clearly because we all went out in the field. The kids had to memorize the music. Uh-huh. So all their eyes were on me. You know, they were. I think they were probably really <laughs> nervous about seeing a lot of people out in the stadium. So they're like, let's just look at Miss Celine. Let's just look at her so we don't get more nervous. But I remember looking at the kids and there was like a really nice breeze that came by. Like at the exact moment I was about to like put my hands up to start conducting and it was just like it was so special to see everybody appreciate you know the work that they put in and actually um my professor or sorry our college um president from william jewell was in the audience that day and he emails me later and he's like hey was that you out there conducting the (laughs) harmony project um kc students i was like yeah that was a wonderful performance so you just never know who's watching and i think that was just a very special moment that a lot of the students remember even to this day did the Royals win the game that day? Do you remember? Um, I don't think we got to stay for the game. Or did we? Oh, oh. we did. We did stay for the game. I don't you remember. Were, you were too busy eating hot dogs and not paying attention to the game. You just don't remember. I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that the Royals did win that day. And therefore, I suggest that Harmony Project play at the beginning of every Royals game. And then... The Royals would be in the playoffs every year, so that'd be pretty cool. <laughs> oh man, I have no comment on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys have, you know, you've gotten some cool performance opportunities, but you've also had several really amazing guests get to come in yeah. and, and work with your students. I mean, obviously, your students have gotten to work with the one and only Jason Sieber. I mean, does it get better than that? <laughs> That's not a special guest. Tell tell us about the real special guests that you've been able to work with. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, of course, Jason is has been a <laughs> wonderful guest at Harmony Project, but we also got a chance to have Yo-Yo Ma come. Mm-hmm. Of course, Mike, yes. um, Mike Gordon has been coming in to <laughs> yes. play his flute. Um, you know, he always calms us down and with his beautiful music. And then we've also had Xavier Folly, cool. the Sphinx. Um, Ensemble was able to come and work with our students as well. And um, yeah, I think, I mean, there's just been so many uh, wonderful musicians. And, you know, the kids always leave very inspired after hearing, you know, the professionals, especially someone like Yo-Yo Ma, who's just a really amazing, kind human being and just Mm -hmm. relates so well to the students. You know, when I I was able to be there, has Yo-Yo been there more than once or was it just the one visit? He was there one time. Yeah. So I was there for that visit. And um, I remember, you know, he he was going to come in and play for the students. um, But before all the students got brought into like the auditorium, they were still in their classes doing their regular classwork. And he went into, and this is going to sound ridiculous. I don't remember what instrument was playing. It was either flute or clarinet or recorder. Do you guys do recorders there? Yeah. Yes, we do. I think it might have been recorder then, actually. There was a recorder class going on, and Yo-Yo walked into the class and kind of snuck around the back, and um, <laughs> and then, you know, they were all playing, and all of a sudden, you know, they kind of realized that he was there, and he just sat, na- you know, in the middle of the class, he sat down next to a student and started asking the student questions, like, oh, tell me about this. Like, how do you make a sound on this? How do you, okay, well, how would you finger these notes? Like, how would I play an A mm-hmm. on the recorder? And like, he like immediately engaged these students in a dialogue about music that was so approachable and easy. And of course, Yo-Yo Ma knows how to play the recorder. I mean, we all learned that in the third or fourth grade. <laughs> 
But just getting down on that level and really connecting with the kids, it was like, it was so special just to watch and really inspiring. And, um, you know, he is, he's just such a giving human being. I, I think it's actually possible Yo-Yo doesn't know how to play the recorder. But he is, <laughs> he is uh, an incredible human being. And that was, that was uh, a special experience for me. I got to be there as well and just follow him around and watch well, him. Well, you, you didn't just get to be there. Well, you I, got no, to I didn't play just get to, with I'm getting him. there. Yeah. So one of this was also one of the highlights <laughs> of my own career, which uh, was that he invited me to play a duet with him uh-huh. uh, in front of the, all the kids in the, in the gym. So we got together and played a duet. Of course, you know, there was no rehearsal. We just, uh, we kind of winged it and, it was it was amazing, and the kids the kids were just so um, so engaged. I mean, he's such a electrifying personality. I mean, whether he's talking to adults or children, it doesn't really matter. And he's kind of a big kid himself, uh, and he just relates to children uh, so well. It's really something. I will also add that I was there that day to watch <gasps> everything and really enjoyed it. But um, he also joined the cello section of your orchestra that day, Celine. He did. So um, I'm very jealous because I cannot say that Yo-Yo Ma has ever played in any orchestra that I've conducted, but he certainly has played in an orchestra that you've conducted. And I think that's pretty cool, too. (laughs) That is pretty amazing. Put it on your resume. Exactly. (laughs) Resume, resume. (laughs) Well, Celine, um, we don't let any of our guests ever leave the show without telling us uh, their answers to a a few very key questions. Um, And the first of which is... After a very successful performance, whether it be at your school or with Harmony Project KC, I'm sure you like to celebrate uh, with some good food and perhaps a great drink. What is your favorite drink? Okay, don't laugh at me, <laughs> but I love chai tea lattes. Oh, oh that's nice. Why would we laugh at that? <laughs> so Those are I delicious. I don't really drink a whole lot, but I do love my chais. So, you know, it's just very calming. <laughs> To me, when I when I get a chai, I I have to smell it. Mm. Um, like I will just sit there and like put my nose like way down to it because to me it smells exactly like Christmas. Like every time I smell it, it just it smells like Christmas. That's my chai. I judge a coffee shop based on their chai tea latte. So Ooh. I've been to many coffee shops and I know which really? ones use the same kind of chai uh. and which ones use different kind of chais, like homemade chai. So. Where do we go in Kansas City to get the yeah, best chai tea latte? Oh my gosh. Um, well, I love Main Street um, Coffee House in mm-hmm. um, Independence. Okay. They have a really good uh, chai tea latte there. And then also, hold on. Let me look up the other <laughs> Okay, one. you look it up. <laughs> She's Googling it. We want to get it right. This I'm, is important. Yes, I do want to get it right. <laughs> she's about to get a $100 endorsement check as soon as she uh, says yes, this next name. Exactly, so she's got to make sure right? she says it right. Oh, my gosh. I think I have it saved because, like, I just go to so many. <laughs> so Nonstop chai tea lattes. Yes. Oh man, I want to go get a chai after this. That's what I. You know, you you said that uh, Stephanie that when you smell a chai tea latte, you think of Christmas. For Uh me, that's the peppermint mocha. I love Uh, winter time from Starbucks because I love their peppermint mocha. Well, and we we did start off the podcast with a 
your barista's favorite pumpkin spiced podcast. So that is just a beautiful coincidence that happened right there. <laughs> this is Sometimes becoming a coffee themed episode. Stars align. I found it. All right. Okay. The Pilgrim Coffee Company. Ooh. Pilgrim Coffee oh. Company. Yeah. Nice. I haven't been there. So, I'll have to check that out. Where is it? Um, it is in Overland Park. So not necessarily Kansas City. Another Kansas. Very Kansas close. City. Yes. <laughs> But yeah, it's um, in the Overland Park area, and I all just right. love your chai, so I could have it all day, every day. All right. Awesome. For our non-Kansas City listeners, Overland Park is one of the largest suburbs of Kansas City. Yes, we won't alienate so, our Overland Park listeners, that's for sure. We have a lot of musicians <laughs> from the symphony that live in Overland Park, too. Nope. All right, and if you were to sip on this chai tea latte with Mr. Ludwig von Beethoven, let's say at Pilgrim... <laughs> Uh, what would you ask Beethoven if you could ask him one question? Oh, my goodness. Well, I think I'd want him to have some advice for my students, you know, Mm. Um, especially since he's, you know, he had a lot going on in his life and had had to overcome quite a bit. Um, I want him to know, like, what advice would he give students to overcome some obstacles when you face them in life? And I'm sure he'd have very you know, wonderful advice to give on top of everything else we know about him and how music helped him overcome some of those obstacles. That's a great question. Great answer. I would love to hear his answer to that. Actually, it'd be pretty cool. Definitely. So as you know, we like to close each episode with some recommended listening. So we mentioned earlier um, Gustavo Dudamel and him working with the Simone Bolivar Youth Orchestra in Venezuela. And today I am recommending a, it's, if you want to be energized and inspired and hear some really rockin' orchestral music, I am recommending mm-hmm. the uh, Leonard Bernstein's um, Symphonic Dances, the Mambo from the Symphonic Dances from West Side Story yes. uh, with, with that orchestra. It's an incredible recording. We'll put the link to the YouTube in the description and uh, in the comments. And it's it's awesome. Yeah, don't just listen to it. Make sure you watch the you video have to watch because yeah. there's choreography, there's dancing, the the um, outfits that the orchestra is wearing are really bright and colorful and yeah. awesome. It's a, a really great video. So yeah. definitely watch that. Well, mine, uh, my recommended listening for the week is uh, the great John Williams uh, back in January or February, I believe it was did a concert with the Vienna Philharmonic, one of the best orchestras in the universe. And it was his first time ever conducting them in his film music. And you can now buy the the CD or stream it or download it or whatever you want to do. Um, it's with the Vienna Philharmonic and on Sophie Mutter, the great violinist. He wrote some brand new arrangements just for her uh, from his movie music. And to see, I actually watched the DVD of this too, to see the look on John Williams' face the entire time. He's in heaven working Mm. with this amazing orchestra, playing all this great film music. It just came out uh, in August, so make sure you check out the CD or the DVD or the iTunes version of that recording. Mike, what do you have? Well, uh, it's just a happy coincidence yet again that uh, (laughs) I had planned to recommend this incredible uh, video of Yo-Yo Ma playing the iconic prelude from the first Bach cello Uh suite. And I don't know any really meaningful way to describe this video on a podcast other than to say that the video uh, itself, the visual component, and the music are just so uh, perfectly connected and 
and so embody uh, Yo-Yo's belief in culture's ability to connect us and and uplift. And and you know, it starts out he's playing the the cello on top of a building in New York, and then there are these zoomy graphics, and you see images of people skating and playing other instruments. It, it you just have to go watch it. It's really. <laughs> It's really, really beautiful. We'll put the link in the uh, show notes for you. Celine, do you have any recommended listening this week? Oh, my goodness. Well, I'm going to be like Stephanie and continue to recommend Simon Bolivar's Youth Orchestra um, from Venezuela because the first piece that I heard from them was Danson Number no. 2 mm-hmm. by Arturo mm. Marquez. And, um, you know, coming from a family... Um, or my mom being from Mexican heritage, I really appreciated how they honored, you know, someone from that background with their composition being highlighted in their album. Um, so I always cherish that performance because it's always uplifting and something that brings me joy in my day. So Danson number two, Arturo Marquez. Nice. Nice. Well, thank you so much for joining us this week, Celine. It's been so great to talk to you and learn all about Harmony Project KC and about all the amazing things that you're doing for students six or seven days a week. You, do you ever have a day off? My goodness. <laughs> I, I try. I try so much. But, you know, we're all working to find balance, hopefully, in our life, even with all the yeah. craziness. So. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Next week, we'll be sitting down with one of Kansas City's most treasured musicians, Jan Craybill. KC Symphony diehards have often had the pleasure of hearing Jan breathe life into the beautiful Casavant organ in Hellsberg Hall. Ever wondered how the organ works? Well, Jan is going to tell us all about the mechanics, maintenance, and behind-the-facade intricacies of this most magnificent instrument. And Stephanie gets her first shot at playing host of Bartok next time on Beethoven Walks Into a Bar. <laughs>